Welcome to the Hoosier Health Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Martin. On this episode, we get to hang with Darla Berry, who's been honing her craft as a midwife for over 21 years. Darla helps provide some context around infant mortality and the challenges Indiana has with access to pre and postnatal care. She also enlightens us on the world of midwifery. This episode also includes our first segment, Behind the Curtain. So let's go ahead and dive into the interview with Darla as she provides some background on her journey as a midwife. So I've been a midwife for um, officially now 21 years. Um, I worked as a labor and delivery nurse for about five years before I decided I'd had enough and it was time to go back to school. Um, ever since becoming a labor and delivery nurse, knew that I wanted to be a midwife. Um, there were, were not, at that point in time, very many practicing here um, in the state. So I did a what's called a community-based uh, nurse midwifery education program through the Frontier Nursing Service in Kentucky. Um, it was, you do in a community-based, and it, just, it was really kind of um, one of the first distance learning programs in the country. We did all of our didactic work from home. Um, and then we connected with a local midwife or midwifery group um, in our local community to do your clinical work with. So it was really kind of the best of both uh, worlds. I could still be at home with my family and my job and, and everything that kept me in my community, but I could have the benefits of graduate age, yeah, excuse me, education. Um, at the same time and ended up being about nine credits short of a master's degree, which I finished at Case Western uh, Reserve in Cleveland. So became a midwife in 1998 with my certificate and then had my master's degree done by May of 99 and um, started working here in Indianapolis at that point in time. Wow. So I'm assuming the um, 21 years ago that that support group you had here locally was uh, pretty um, slim pickings. That you know, it was in general, but it just so happened that at that point in time, um, there were several of us, there was a handful of us, I guess you would say, at Methodist, uh, kind of going through it and precepting with the same organization. Um, and we kind of buddied up, and I'm still friends with those, with those people, those fellow students today. Oh, that's awesome. So it is a pretty tight network of, of folks uh, that you obviously went to school with, but then also. You know, as you're a midwife longer and longer, I'm sure you lean on each other for expertise sharing and situational uh, things that, uh, you know, obviously can can help support the cause, if you will. Absolutely. So quick question, as I was doing a little research um, on what it is being a midwife, the, the term doula came up and, and I wondered if you could give some of the listeners a, a, a good definition or a distinction between a midwife and a doula. So... You know, we, um, a midwife is essentially, I think the easiest way for people to understand midwife. I mean, everybody kind of knows what a nurse practitioner is, right? You know that a nurse practitioner is somebody that's gone back to graduate school and they can kind of see patients independently in your, you know, physician's office or in their own office um, in some instances. So a nurse midwife is actually like a nurse practitioner who can also deliver babies. So I can do all the things in an office that an OBGYN nurse practitioner can do, but I can also go into the hospital, um, catch a baby, take care of a mom during labor, take care of her postpartum, discharge her from the hospital, um, and that piece. A doula comes into the picture um, as professional labor support. So a doula is 
um, primarily, I mean, and I think most commonly, labor support for mom and her partner. There are also a lot of doulas who've hung out a postpartum doula uh, shingle, so to speak. So hmm. they kind of hang out and take care of mom um, after the baby has come and through that kind of through that postpartum period. Um, you know, I think culturally we've kind of gotten away from, you know, what used to be called a lying in period, which would sometimes be four to six weeks after you had a baby and you had somebody there to take care of you and to help take care of the house and the cooking and the cleaning so that you could really rest and to recover. Um, you know, and that's really a luxury for people that I'm not even sure exists for anybody at this point in time, but doulas can fill that, fill that gap. I see. No, that's a great distinction between the two. And I'm sure that there is a lot of confusion between folks, um, you know, when you hear the terms, not knowing what they exactly do. Um, and, you know, um, just even when you say midwife, I think there's a lot of confusion about what a midwife is because there are lots of different types of um, midwives. I'm a certified nurse midwife, which means that I have a registered nurse degree. I sat for the nursing board's um, exam. Um, and then went back and pursued midwifery uh, degree, which is a graduate degree, it can be an, a master's, can be um, what we call a doctor of nursing practice, um, but usually comes with a um, some sort of graduate degree. There are also certified midwives who sit for the same certifying exam as certified nurse midwives, but they come to it with a bachelor's degree in another field, hence the certified midwife, not certified nurse midwife. Um, Indiana doesn't recognize that credential at this point in time. Um, there's really only a handful of states in the country that do. And then to further muddy the midwifery soup, hmm. um, there is also a category there's called, that's called the certified professional midwives. And once those are, when there's a process in Indiana for those women to be, or those providers to be credentialed as certified direct entry midwives. So they are educated in midwifery training programs. They do extensive apprenticeships with other midwives. They attend births um, primarily at home. Um, and Indiana recognize, recognizes certified professional midwives with the additional training as certified direct entry midwives um, who also have a written agreement with a physician provider, but really primarily do births uh, out of hospital. Well, thank you yeah, for uh, explaining that. It, it, it's funny, the amount of births, I did some research in 2018. I, any idea um, how many births took place in Indiana? Oh, I did know. Um, 81,646 births in, in the state of Indiana, and that was 2018. It's a lot of diapers, Pete. It, it is a lot of diapers, a lot of screaming and, and sleepless nights, too. Um, so how many of those births would you say would have had a midwife in, involved in them? So um, in a perfect world, actually nationally, midwives do about 9% um, of the births. So if you ask a midwife, we don't do nearly enough. Yeah, that's amazing. So 9% nationally. Wow. Well, one of the reasons why I was so excited to talk to you was, you know, part of this you know, birth of, of our podcast, if you will, no pun intended, but. Oh, I love intended. it. And you've got a midwife. That's awesome. Pete, <laughs> yeah. you rock. <laughs> the part that really made me think of, of you and, and, and your practice as being a, a good, you know, topic for the podcast was really the infant mortality rate. You know, Indiana is not 
um, doing the best in the country. You know, we are actually 11th in the country for infant mortality rate um, as far as how high it is, and actually number 12 in the U.S. for teen births. And, um, you know, so I, I think that the you know, I've had four kids and, and not myself, but my beautiful wife did, you know, and, and so I've been on the sidelines for that process and, and realize, you know, um, everything that goes on with mom and the baby and, you know, just the whole experience of bringing another life into this world. And, you know, I, I think the, um, the thing that I'd be curious to know from your perspective, because you are around um, a lot of these births and, and see a lot of, um, you know, local Hoosiers here going through that wonderful event, you know, why do you think our infant mortality rate is as high as it is right now? You know, if I could answer that question, Pete, um, we could change the world. <laughs> um, I bet. Right? I know. Um, I don't, I don't, I think there are so many factors that play into it, but it's interesting that you thought of a midwife, um, probably because you know me and well, there'd be no pressure implied and I'd, I'd really get all over you if you called somebody else. But um, <laughs> interestingly enough, nurse midwifery was brought to the United States by a woman named Mary Breckenridge in 1925. And I can cite her statistics because she founded the Frontier Nursing Service in Hyden, Kentucky, which is in, deep in the hills of Eastern Kentucky. Um, which is where I happened to do, I mean, that was the origin, the origin of the nurse midwifery education program that I did. So um, she brought nurse midwifery into the hills of Eastern Kentucky into Appalachia on horseback and effectively reduced um, maternal and neonatal death rates to well below the national average at a very reasonable cost. So there were women in the hills and hollers of Eastern Kentucky who were not accessible. There were not roads, there still are not roads. Um, and I'll tell you now, even 20 years ago, driving those roads into some of those deep hills in Kentucky is um, quite an interesting feat even now with a car. And I can't imagine what it would have been trying to traverse that terrain um, on horseback. But otherwise, nobody got to them. So these women were having babies and dying and their babies were dying. And so she brought nurse midwifery from her experience um, on the East Coast, as well as in France and England. Um, back to Kentucky and really kind of changed the world. Um, then in the later 20s, um, the Maternity Center Association opened, um, started a nurse midwifery education program in New York City to do the same thing because there were women and babies dying in the slums and in the housing projects in New York City. So nurse midwifery midwifery and nurse midwives have a expansive, well, we have a century's worth of experience in helping with um, infant mortality and maternal mortality rates. So I think, um, you know, one thing that really speaks to me about midwifery is we really get engaged and we really get involved on a very personal level. It's not going to be a 10 or 15 minute um, quick in and out of the OB's office when you come in. Uh, for a prenatal visit. We're going to sit and talk to you about where you are, about what you want, about, you know, what kind of things are happening in your life, what's stressing you out, what's, you know, what's contributing to your health and what's keeping you um, from being the best you, so to speak, that you can be. Um, kind of along those lines, as we know that in Indiana, 33 of our 92 counties are maternity deserts, which mean they don't have a hospital at all. 
or they don't have a hospital with OB services. So that's over a third of the counties in Indiana, which is mind boggling to me because wow. I feel like we all think it's 2020 and we live, you know, very centrally um, in a very heavily populated area where it's very hard to drive a mile without some sort of medical access. Um, you know, I think Tippecanoe County, we're not going to mention the school that's up there, but um, Tippecanoe County. <laughs> hey, we, we're, we're fair and balanced here on the Hoosier Health podcast. We, we, we don't mind uh, gold or, or cream and crimson. They, Tippecanoe County obviously has hospitals. They've got their nurse midwives um, at the IU Arnett Hospital up there. Um, but there are, the, for the seven counties that touch Tippecanoe County, there, there isn't anything. So there's no OBGYN provider and there's no hospital that provided that provides OBGYN services. Wow. So it's, it's really mind boggling to think that, you know, there are places, there are counties in Indiana where you, you have to drive to a different county. And it's not like our counties are super small, right? I mean, that's going to be 40 minutes um, one way to go to a doctor's visit. Wow. And if there's so involved it could be even further than that so are these folks getting their you know guidance or counsel on on the, you know pregnancy and and being a mom and the birthing process is a lot of that coming from their you know uh, the internet um i mean how are they yeah from the internet if it's coming from family medicine doctors which is mm. fine or if it's just not coming and they show up um you know they, they show up in labor at a hospital that's a county away Wow. Um, so knowing that there's not enough um, OBGYNs in the state, fortunately, we are blessed, um, beyond blessed in the state of Indiana to have Dr. Chris Box be our state health commissioner, who is um, by trade an OBGYN physician. And she um, has just been amazing in putting in place programs um, and kind of moving and shaking to make some changes and get some things moving. So she started this OB Navigator program, which is going to help put community health workers um, and OB specific workers out into some of these rural counties so that women have a connection point. I mean, it's all about increasing access. So resources are coming, you know, it's not as though we're just standing by and letting this happen. Yep. And we also know, and we've got uh, decades worth of data and research into communities. And we know that the greatest um, communities that have the greatest risk for adverse outcomes, that if we increase access to midwives who are integrated and work par as part of the health system, um, that we may improve both outcome and mom's experience. Are you guys measured then with uh, patient scores similar to a hospital? Yes, we do have patient, I mean, we have patient satisfaction scores and we also have, um, we look at outcomes and quality measures. And, and how would you say um, those relate to uh, a traditional birthing process at, you know, with um, uh, an OBGYN? Um, I think a lot of it is site specific and provider specific. I mean, think sometimes, you know, again, we go back to the relationship piece. Um, if you go to a midwife, so I, the practice that I'm, I'm directing at this point in time, um, I'm one of four midwives. We strongly encourage all of our women who are coming to see us to see each of the four midwives so that you've at least um, made contact and seen all four of us because we share call equally as well. No one person is on call all the time. Um, and I think that relationship piece is so important. I think there's um, a lot of 
a lot of disconnect between women and their OB providers because they don't all take call. Um, and maybe the odds of you actually seeing the one physician that you saw most of the time or the one that you really, really liked when you go in and you're in labor um, could be slim to none depending on the size of the, the call group. Yeah, that's that's got to be hugely important, you know, when you're at that crucial part of delivering the baby and then that familiar face that you've kind of been, you know, um, accustomed to through, throughout the process isn't there. Right. Yeah. Well, that's good that you guys do that for the patients. You know, again, it, it allows you guys to have different optics um, on these folks to help them with different situations and, and you get other people's perspective. And then, like you said, at that time, when the baby does come, you know, at some point there's a familiarity with uh, who's going to be there to help through the process. I think it's really important. Well, that's interesting. Uh, so I got to uh, switch it up a little bit. I have a segment I'd like to call Behind the Curtain, Darla. This is Behind the Curtain. Um, and so some of our, uh, our listeners who are not in the healthcare profession, you know, might uh, be curious to know kind of what can go on, you know, again, behind the curtain. And so with that, what's one of the strangest things in your 21 years of being a midwife that, that you've encountered? Strangest? I don't know. I, you know, birth to me is kind of has become, um, there really isn't, you just have to learn to go with the flow and you just don't know what you're going to see. I was telling a story about and that was, actually, it was a birth that I attended as a, I was working as a nurse before I became a midwife. And she was adamant she had a doula. She, um, her husband was with her. She's laboring normally. Everything is good. And she stalled out at about eight centimeters. And we could not, she was not, you know, we're kind of looking like, we can't sit here at eight centimeters forever. What are we going to do? We got to try and get, you know, this baby to move. We've just got a little bit further to go. So we ended up getting her up out of the bed. She didn't have an epidural. Ended up getting her out of the bed um, and going into the bathroom because, you know, in the hospital, you're a little bit limited in how much you can, what, what kind of mobility you've got. I mean, it's not like being at home. Um, and you, we got her up and I'll be doggone if that was not enough to make that baby um, kind of get into a better position. And we had a baby on the bathroom floor. Um, we put all the blankets and all the pads and all the pillows and all the, I mean, it was, um, uh, to me, I feel like it was midwifery at its finest, even though there was not a midwife present in the room. It was really kind of meeting that woman where she was um, and helping her through, you know, what she needed to be um, helped with to get to where she needed to be. That's amazing. Wow. It's just a story of, you know, helping women just really learn to listen to their bodies and um, kind of go with it. No, that's amazing. It, it's uh, I, I can't imagine you. You have to be calm, cool, and collective. Uh, I'm assuming to be a midwife because you know I've I've been in many ICUs and I've seen patients crash and code and you know the the way that I feel like nurses just compartmentalize what's going on and and, and address it. You know and just do what needs to be done. Um, I would assume that that's a good characteristic of a, a you know a, a good midwife. I would, I would have to agree. I mean, a good nurse. I mean, anybody, I mean, you've got somebody in the room's got to keep their head, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, what would you say are some other characteristics of, of top performing midwives? I mean, you've been in the, the area for, for so long and, and probably seen the good and the bad, you know, what, what makes 
uh, a good midwife? I think a good midwife is, you can tell a good midwife by her ability to listen to people. Um, you know, really, I think you have to have an ability to, to just really deep down care about people and care about human beings. Um, I think you have to be very thoughtful. I think you have to be, um, you, you really have to be able to listen to what people are saying um, and kind of read what people are really trying to say um, when they're not using their words, hmm. so to speak. Um, you know, I think we just, we as midwives in general, just cherish that relationship with that woman. Um, you know, I think it's great. I always tell women when you meet me for the first time, um, you know what, I plan to create and nurture that relationship so that whenever you have an issue about anything, whether it's related to your upcoming annual appointment or a change in birth control or menopausal symptoms that now you're having, um, that you think of me because you know that I've been there for you and you call me and you make an appointment with me and you come in and see me and we sit and talk. Um, and, and I really do view um, you know, what I do as relationship building. Um, I have several clients that I've had for more than 10 years. We've had multiple babies together and they still come back to me for their annual exams, their pap smears, their birth control, and all the things because we've just made that connection and we've we've shared some pretty spectacular moments together. Oh, I bet. And the the you know the the journey through life together and having that that um, you know kind of a dynamic relationship of someone you trust, you know. And I, I think it's similar to what I would hear with um, OBGYNs, you know, where it's, it's kind of a primary care relationship, you know, they get pulled into every aspect of the life outside of, you know, just the, the normal uh, annual and baby stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think if you can find that person um, or be that person, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just changes the dynamic. And I think our culture has become so mobile that we've lost a lot of that. People don't stick around, you know, midwives don't always stay in the same place. Um, You know, physicians surely don't stay in the same place. And um, it's kind of hard to do that. But if you think about how many times you might change family, you know, family medicine providers, or how many times you might change in a woman's life an OBGYN provider, um, and how many times then you have to go back and retell the story, a lot of the nuances get lost and, and you just can't ever tell the story as well as you can experience it with somebody else. Oh, I bet. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And, and unfortunately, our, our society's moving away from a lot of those personal connections. And, and some of those are forced, right, with, with COVID and, and everything that's going on with that. And I guess along those lines, Darla, you know, how has COVID-19 you know, changed your practice? So, um, you know, COVID-19 came through and really, um, I'm, I told somebody today, I am ready for the COVID-19 tool bag to be emptied of wrenches because it feels like the wrenches just keep flying. Okay, there's another COVID wrench. Yep, thrown another wrench. Yep, nope, that's not going to work. Um, women tend to want to come and just chat. And they want to come and talk to you and see if you're a good fit and see if they like you and see, you know, they want to they want to come and just do what we used to call a meet and greet and mm-hmm. you know covid came and those things are gone i mean you, you're not going to get into the office unless you just absolutely have to we you know really had to come down and kind of deem what is an essential visit and what's really not a visit that's essential what could we put off for another month or two months or you know when we started rescheduling 
annual visits because, well, yes, I know you're due for a pap smear now, but you know, if you don't have any other issues, we can probably hold off another couple or three months. Um, you can do that with a lot of routine GYN type visits. You can refill birth control prescriptions over the phone. Um, it's a little difficult to do a prenatal visit over the phone, although we did them and we have done them and continue to do them for women who want them. But because midwifery and because OB in general is so much about the relationship um, and you can't measure somebody's belly to see if a baby's growing over the phone. Um, if you didn't go into this with a blood pressure cuff at home, I can't check your blood pressure to be sure that, you know, things are good there. Um, so there are just visits and just, you know, and we haven't mastered the art of ultrasound um, via podcast or over the phone either. So, um, you know, there are just things that you just have to come into and come in for, and we just try to make it as safe as we can. Um, our practice was particularly impacted because we are currently seeing patients out of the artistry building downtown in a shared, kind of a shared space with a family medicine practice. Um, that space is also shared with a radiology unit. So when COVID came, that space converted to a respiratory, symptomatic, um, you know, kind of almost if you answer yes to any of the COVID questions, do you know wow. what I mean? Yeah. Um, you're going to get routed over here for evaluation. Well, mm. you don't want, we didn't want to be there. And we really, I mean, we didn't have much say in it. You know, we kind of scurried away and um, moved to another location. We have since moved back um, to the artistry building. However, I suspect mm. just feels like numbers are ticking upwards again, and we may end up, um, you know, seeking, seeking shelter elsewhere um, again, but we are, we are working on that. But um it's made things really interesting. I think it's really brought telehealth um, to the forefront, which is um, an interesting concept and I think certainly workable outside of COVID. Um, but, you know, it's again, back to pregnancy stuff. It's, it's just hard to do what we do and not see somebody in person. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And, and just as you alluded to before, you know, how important the connection is between the care provider and the patient and, and how do you establish that or continue it, you know, in a telehealth setting or a virtual setting? I mean, that that's, you know, challenging. And, 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 and maybe some of that, Darla, is your perception of, you know, that that relationship being weakened, you know, versus, you know, the, the way you're actually communicating with, with those folks and, and it's still being accomplished and it just feels that way. I mean, I think we, we're all adapting to Zoom calls and uh, a virtual you know, communication with um, people at work or you know, family members or friends or what have you. And you know, even though it feels different, you know, it still feels good because you're not getting it. You, you know? I'm not gonna lie. There's a part of me that's, I've really kind of enjoyed doing um like virtual virtual visits and video visits because then I get to see sometimes I get to see mom um you know at home I mean it's it's the be almost almost better than being in an office you know if I'm going to have to do what we call a prenatal interview or your new OB appointment and I'm going to have to ask you a hundred thousand questions and dig real deep into every little crevice of your life mm -hmm. um, you know what, if I know that you're sitting on your couch at home or sitting at your kitchen table with a cup of coffee, that's a whole lot easier to do. And it really starts feeling a whole lot more like a conversation um, than, you know, a game of 20 questions or whatever than an interrogation, I guess. So there have certainly been um, some, some pluses and some upsides. Um, 
I think for pregnant women, COVID has brought a lot of questions. And I think this first round, we really didn't know a lot about COVID and a lot of what we did and a lot of the um, recommendations and a lot of the stuff that information that was disseminated, we know better. Um, we know a little bit more, but I think in terms of inpatient, inpatient things, people um, got really scared at the prospect of maybe having to labor and birth a baby without, you know, a partner at the bedside, um, without a doula, because there were some hospitals in the area that wouldn't, would only allow one support person. Um, and I think that was really hard. Um, I didn't have a good venue to get the word out and say, you need to establish care with a midwife because guaranteed that's to support people at your, at your bedside. That's whoever you bring with you, plus your midwife. Um, but, you know, we know better, uh, know a little bit better, better, know a little bit more about COVID now, at least have testing and, um, you know, can be a little bit proactive and more knowledgeable this next time around. Yeah, I, I know the um, orig original precautions were, you know, rightfully so, be, you know, be safe versus sorry. And um, I think I've had uh, a coworker um, have a, a little girl and then a, a former coworker uh, a couple days ago had a little girl, you know, so during this pandemic, and, you know, it, it was tough. The first one, you know, really couldn't um, be in there, you know, to be with mom and, and be a part of the process. And then the next one that was more recent, you know, was able to, you know, and that's that's a huge thing to, to be robbed of in a way, um, you know. It really and, is. Our institution has continued to always allow one support person, mm -hmm. um, which then the bright side of that to me is, um, you know, you really are guaranteed bonding time for the three of you as a unit without um, a lot of other disruption, distraction, and, you know, other people, because that carried over to the postpartum unit. You could still only have one person with you, so you're not inundated with visitors, um, you know, and, and people who mean well, um, but come at a time when you really just need rest and get to know, you know, an opportunity to get to know this new little person that, that's going to be part of your life. Whenever I tell anybody who doesn't know me, you know, oh, what do you do? I'm a midwife. Oh, you deliver babies at home. Nope, I don't. I have babies um, in the hospital. Um, we have babies with epidurals. We have babies without epidurals. Um, we have women with, you know, epidurals who didn't really want them and wanted to try all the things before they got them. Um, and we, we do it all. There was a semi-unicorn um Oh, search. And um, I got to ask if you've seen this unicorn. It was the uh, elusive mid-husband. There are, you know what, two of the most fabulous midwives I know are men. Um, and actually one of them is um, also married to a midwife. Really? So a uh, uh, husband-wife duo midwife. And we still call him midwife. We never, the, the mid-husband thing never really caught on. So he's still known as a midwife, but they are um, both fabulous people and just super, super quality midwives. It is so awesome to uh, to have you on the on the podcast. I, I really think, you know, the, the listeners are going to get a ton of information, you know, just, 
you know, I'll be honest, I, I kind of thought a midwife would be something necessary when you're going to be playing Enya in the background and birth in a hot tub and, you know, have a serene environment. You know, it's just one of those kind of dumb um, assumptions that, that people make. And, and that's why I think this is an important subject for, for folks to listen to and, and really just have a, a clear understanding of what it is that midwives do and how you help support your patients and the family members and, and uh, folks that you come in contact with. I mean, you know, it, as much as uh, I'm joking around, I, I really do think it's a, it's a great topic and, and something that the listeners are really gonna enjoy. I agree, Pete, and I appreciate you asking me to come. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Hoosier Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. The practice of midwifery is much broader than we thought, but what really resonated with us the most is the connection Darla and her team create with the patients they serve. It was also exciting to hear the advancements our state is making to lower infant mortality and provide programs to fellow Hoosiers. That's it for this episode of the Hoosier Health Podcast. We want you to remember health is wealth. We'll see you next time.